0: Hello, everybody. I'm Neil Acharya. I'm Nate Sager. And this is Sports Lit, a new podcast that we've started. Our first ever episodes today. The podcast focuses on sports books and sports literature, uh, short stories, articles, even their authors and the subjects, which are often athletes, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Anyway, it's our first episode today. Uh, And
1: uh, Nate. Uh, pretty excited that we're finally doing this. Yeah, we've talked about doing this for literally years, Neil. Like you and I, we've been friends. You realize we have been friends for eighteen years. We've That's known a long each other. For, we've known each other probably for twenty, but eighteen out of twenty. I mean, it took a while. I'm just, just I'm kidding. I yeah, but yeah. but yeah, we've wanted to do this for years because, like I say, you go into any chapters. Like I mean, there's a whole section on sports, but you know, like there, are these those books don't make it into like the book review section of the Toronto Star. Like they're gonna they're going to review Roddy Doyle and, and you know serious literature and serious history, but we're like this is a huge market and we and we read a ton of these. We've got right. shelves and shelves full of them, and but, you know that's you know we want to get into how, what's the process of making like exactly how, it, how do you get. A proposal across uh, all that stuff that's exactly what you what, exactly what was the made. story you wanted to tell exactly it
0: I, I think that a lot of times you know you know when it's book season in the fall and spring it, with sports books you know these guys the authors uh, the the subjects will get the you know regular circuit of interviews uh, on sports stations and in sports sections but it's not necessarily about the process and, yeah. and it's more about the the story of the athlete which we also want to get into but we just get some nuts and bolts too about about the author. And yeah, and
1: it's like a five minute hit, if if that. And right. it's like and there's not it's never not going to be in a newspaper sports section, right? I mean, right. I they, they mean, unless they're asking Austin Matthews about what he thinks about it. I'm just sure, or, I'm just joking.
0: Sure. Well, the the point <laughs> being is, though, so, yeah. So the, we we're we're happy to, to, to do this, and, and and it's a it's exciting, uh, and our first guest today is um, a gentleman uh, who a lot of sports fans would probably know. He's a broadcaster on SportsNet. His name is Ken Reed. Uh, this is his third book. Um, he, uh, his first book was Hockey Card Stories, which was really popular story of, um, I guess the story behind a certain card. And then he did One Night Only, uh, which was about players that just played one night in the NHL. Uh, which came out last year, and now he has the Dennis Marouk story uh, coming out, and it's the unforgettable story of hockey's forgotten 60-goal man and uh, both me and you've read this story and it's a uh, actually takes a couple of turns I mean first of all Dennis you can kind of you know explain explain who Dennis is to our uh, listeners
1: yeah I mean Dennis is someone who is as Ken talked is about his sort of slipped through the cracks he scored I think about 400 goals in the NHL I mean that's an amazing career mm-hmm. had played a four played 14 seasons but didn't always maybe get the attention that he deserved when he was playing, and then he sort of you know dropped out of sight. Had to go through this process of finding himself, which is what the book's really about. It's not just oh, this time in uh, St. Louis in 1984, this happened. I mean, although those stories are there, it's it's about how he found, had to find himself through hockey, and he went through some dark times with um, you know his mental health and you know a couple of marriages and. But you know he so sort of had to piece it together, and it, it's a really uniquely structured book. And, and it was, I guess, Dennis's idea to do these sort of short burst chapters. It's like it's like doing 60, it's like 60 win sprints. It's 60 chapters, Dennis scored 60 goals in a year. Hockey, it's a 60 minute game that, you know, people always like, we gotta play a full 60 minutes. So these 60 short burst chapters, that was Dennis Marook's idea. And so it gives it, and everyone sort of got like a theme to it. And, a, and a, it's like sort of an anecdote, but every one of them had a purpose to it. It wasn't just like, oh, this is a funny thing that happened. That's what I wrote. So I really, you know, I really, really like this book. Like, it, I mean, I almost never, I mean, don't like one but right. Um, it,
0: he was the 7th player in NHL history in 1981 82 that's when he did it to score 60 goals at that time uh, only 6 other players had done it uh, I believe so that's really what the, the I guess the hockey world knew him for then as you talked about he um after 14 seasons very successful seasons uh, 888 points I think in 878 games or vice versa yeah, I think, yeah 878 and 880 yeah exactly <laughs> um you know he kind of just he he went off on his own and did a lot of interesting things lived in Aspen went up to the Gulf of Mexico and 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 to find himself and so with that said uh, Ken is going to join us, and we're going to talk a little about Dennis Marook, or I think a lot. I, I think I think we'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll get a lot out of it, uh, and um, we're excited uh, for, to have you guys join us. So thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. I'm Nate Sager. And we have a special guest today for our first ever episode... Ken Reed, ladies and gentlemen, of Sportsnet. What's up, boys? He's he's an author. We're very glad to have you.
2: I'm a dude that wrote a book, but if you want to call me author, that's cool, too.
0: Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about the Dennis Baruch story, which Mm -hmm. you wrote. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we know you're on a bit of a tight schedule, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, What was the motivation? First of all, tell everybody about yourself.
2: Uh, I'm an don't, anch- don't know. Yeah, I'm an anchor at SportsCenter. I do the weeknight edition of Prime Primetime with Ivanka Ozmac. And my latest book, written with Dennis, is called Dennis Marouk, The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man. And it's just that seven, 20 men in history have scored 60 goals in a season. Dennis was the seventh to do it. Dennis is kind of the first to admit, if you go down the list, people might struggle to get his name. He doesn't get the respect I think he deserves. He happened to score 60 the year Gretzi scored 92. So his 60 didn't get a lot of attention. But when I met with Dennis initially, somebody asked if I'd want to do his book. So Dennis and I got together for lunch for half an hour. It turned into a four-hour conversation, and there was so much more than just hockey. I was blown away by what he went through off the ice when his career was done. He took a total 180. The first chapter of the book dives right into that. So I don't think it's your regular hockey book. And Dennis just had an amazing story to tell and he wanted it the chapter short. He likes an author named James Patterson. So we get sixty small chapters. Fitting, sixty chapters, sixty goals, and it kinda goes everywhere. And it, it doesn't when I met Dennis Marouk, all I knew about him was he was in my first book, Hockey Card Stories. He was a sniper. He looked good on a hockey card. <laughs> but man did he have a lot of stuff to talk about.
0: So for those that don't know about Dennis, is it Maruk or Maruk? Maruk. Maruk for those that don't know about Dennis Maruk, and, and, and Ken just touched on this, he has a, a unique look, to
2: mm-hmm. say the least. Could you describe his look? He has the Fu Manchu. He got it from Al Habroski when he was about 15. He decided to grow this mustache. And it's a real 70s look, but it had a purpose. Dennis had the ability to grow hair as a kid, so that was always good. So his first job we get into in the book was buying liquor for his buddies. But he was small in a big man's game. And this mustache, it kind of made him look mean. And, you know, the old slap shot line to Walt, what are you, Walt, what are you doing to the bus making it look mean? <laughs> so Dennis looked mean. And then he adopted this personality when he switched to the NHL that we also get into the book during a chapter called Learn to Be a Prick. So he'd fight. He'd swing his stick. He looked mean because he's a guy that was 5'8", 160, had to go into the scrappy tough areas of the ice to survive so if that mustache helped him look a little meaner so be it so it worked he, he's got the goatee now but he'll still rock the tash every once in a while
0: and his nickname was peewee
2: because Wee. Five 5'8 correct listed generous yeah he's about 5'8 i think when he played junior he was about 150 during the nhl he probably got up to 170 at some point but he still plays he's a still still really good on the ice and I mean, he's he was a powerful little guy, but I mean, some of the pictures in the book they're they're hilarious. I mean, you just look at him and he he just he just looks mean, right? And he's but he's actually a really nice guy, but he had to adopt this persona to survive in the NHL.
1: Yeah, yeah. You see those pictures of him with the London Knights, and you're like, he's like 19 years old, right? I mean, he looks like 20, 25. Yeah. He
2: looks like he's 108. And he, you know, he looks
1: like he just. I think I think there was one time when I was covering junior hockey when I I think Dennis and I were on the same show, like in London. Yeah. And I saw him walk in, and I was like, who's this guy? He looks like he's the manager of a band or something. Right. And then he just quietly goes, hi, I'm Dennis Marouk.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> like, Dennis. And I'm like, wow, okay. And that's kind of the whole gist of the book, because the first time I met him, it was at the MasterCard Center, and he just kind of walked in, and a guy on the Leaf staff knew him, and introduced him to his buddies, and, and they, he said, hey, this is Dennis Marouk. Oh, hi. Dennis scored 60 goals one year. What, really? And like you said, he just looks like a dude. He knows how to dress, but he's this this guy that might be standing beside you in the grocery line who just once upon a time happened to score 60 goals in the NHL and that's one thing about Dennis that's pretty amazing he's very humble so with this book out I'm like to see I'm, I, I'm loving the fact that he's getting a little bit attention and his story is getting the attention that I think he deserves
0: so you, you touched on a little bit but the so the motivation to write this is your fourth book correct
2: uh, this is my third my fourth is in the can so my first book was hockey card stories right. second book was one night only and this is the first book I've ever written with somebody else. No, Hockey Card Stories Part 2 is also. That's coming out next oh,
0: year. Okay, so that hasn't come out yet. So if I let this cat
2: out of the bag, is this. Maybe, a, yeah. Oh there's dozens of people are freaking out now. Either,
0: either we're break, breaking news here or I've ruined. I've ruined You're breaking so.
2: news. It's okay. Oh, okay. It's I'll okay. Have, I've have, been bragging about it. so We're going to have to okay. have you back That's on uh, for yeah. that. Oh, I'll come on for that. Sure. Um,
0: but um, we, I wanted uh, to ask you so the. This is your first book about a specific player. So yeah. you were approached to do this, correct? Or, or- so
2: the first time I met Dennis was when I cold called him to be in Hockey Cart Stories mm. because he had that wicked look and I wanted to know about it. So I gave him a copy of the book. I met him at Greg Zahn's golf tournament, gave him a copy of the book. And I don't know, a couple of months later, a, a, a buddy of his called and said, um, hey, Dennis really liked the story. Would you have any interest in, in writing his book? And I said, I don't know, sure, let's go to lunch. And we literally, my plan was just to pick his brain. But I got there, and I said, can I turn my recorder on? And we talked for four hours, and I said to him, I think we got a book. Um, Contacted my literary agent, and uh, wrote up a little pitch, and got a deal, and started, we did about 25 hours worth of interviews.
0: So what, was, so yeah, what was that process like?
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was long. It was fun for me who likes to just talk to people about hockey, but like Dennis isn't a, he's not a long talker, so you had to get details out of him. Uh, so sometimes you'd go over the same story twice just to see as get as much details and color to add to the story out of him as you could. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was it was cool just to pick the brain of a guy I grew up watching. So did you did you meet with him uh, yeah. for these, or yeah. did,
0: was was he phoning?
2: Him? Nope, we'd go out to lunch and sit down, and we'd meet in a like a a, a coffee shop, and you know have four or five coffees over five hours. Coffees or uh... no coffees? Coffees. We were professional, <laughs> and uh, you know then I'd call him up maybe one night and go, Hey Dennis, I just want to get this story straight. Does this make sense? So I, I wrote all his stories up, but I wanted him to know that this is his book. So if there's anything he doesn't want in it, we'll take it out. If there's anything he does want in it, we'll put it in. And the process continued. I mean, probably volleying back and forth 10 times before we finally come up with this final copy. And the the, the captions under the pictures and some of the stuff in the last chapter, we literally did it right in the offices at ECW right before we submitted our final copy mm-hmm. because I wanted... I didn't want to write someone's book, because the name on the book is Dennis Marouk with Ken Reed. I didn't want to write someone's story that they didn't approve of. So my whole thing was, Dennis, this is your story, I'm just just here to help you. So I wanted to make sure that he got the message out that that he wanted to get out. But I think part of the process was me coming up with the narrative and, and kind of telling him, did you realize that? this was kind of happened so he kind of took a step back and looked at his life and said geez you know that was really a a bad time and I can't believe I was going through that I never thought of it that way before because I mean he tried to take his life at one point that's in the book and I mean it gets it gets really deep it doesn't it's not just about sniping 60 goals in fact that's kind of not what it's about at all it's about the man who sniped the 60.
1: Yeah how much uh Encouragement or direction? Did you need to sort of get him to talk about that? Because there's so mm-hmm. much focus now, on, this is actually, I think we're actually in World Mental Health Month. Yeah, I and mean, there's so much focus now on the ex athlete. Yeah, and how uh, susceptible they are to you know mental health issues, depression mm-hmm. and anxiety. And he really opened up about that, and just it really hits you like a ton of bricks. It uh, did when he when he did.
2: I mean, it didn't come up the first session we were together it took a little more digging and you know he would say you know I didn't feel too well and go, well, what do you mean you didn't feel too well and a big point for him in his life was uh, his daughter Sarah when he opened up to her so at, at Sarah's wedding and we get into it in the book he kinda just opens up to the world as hey if you're wondering where I've been I've been kinda through hell he's very comfortable talking about it now and then in the so he had that mental health scare and then as we're writing the book last January he had had quadruple bypass so I'm with him in the hospital. Two days after that, the guy could hardly move. And I'm thinking, how the heck are we going to do this? He, Dennis, you oh, almost died, buddy. And uh, then three months later, he's got his, his step back. Like He's the he's the coolest guy. He's the nicest guy you would ever want to meet. And he's got this spring in his step. And I think uh, it's the book's almost like the story of a comeback. This great player who went away, and he came back. I'm not going to tell you what he came back to. But it it was really cool to to see a guy just kind of get a bunch of stuff off his chest and get it out there. Because when you get stuff off your chest, you can relate to it. So Dennis is telling me all about this anxiety and depression, tentatively. And I said to him, and it's true, I said, Dennis, look, I, I'm, I see a psychologist. I've had depression issues since I was a teenager. You know, I'm on medication too. So he says that, and really? Yeah, so it was nice for me to find Dennis and for Dennis to find me because... We could relate, so it's it's not like he was talking to somebody that that couldn't relate to what he was going through. So maybe that Matt helped, but it certainly helped me that that he was like he he really opened his life to me, which I admire because you know when Dennis does the hockey banquets, he you know he'll tell the hockey stories and he'll tell the, the odd story, but he you won't get the real deep stuff that that you'll get from a guy when you're just sitting around for 20 hours ultimately or 25 hours.
0: Has has so is it safe to say the book? has changed you more so than any other book? Uh, yeah, you?
2: for sure. I mean, the, the, the other books were fun. This was fun, don't get me wrong, right. but this is deep. Mm. The other books were what's going on on your hockey card and what was it like to play one night in the NHL, which is great because I'm curious about that. And this was more focused on one man. Now, the other books give you a glimpse of what 60 men were like in one book and 39 were like in the other, but this is this is deep. So so I, I definitely learned a lot doing this and I had to learn how to Try to throw it all together into a story that made sense. I hope it does. It's a it's an easy read, at, like my other books are. I mean, I'm not Shakespeare. You know, I'm not a wordsmith here. I'm a guy who sits and tells stories, and I always say I I write the way I speak, and I had to write in Dennis's voice, but Dennis is pretty short to the point guy, um, so that's kind of how I wrote the book.
1: Yeah. How how much did uh, Dennis's you know direct being direct and like you say short to the point? How much where did that sort of lend itself to the whole 60 chapters idea? Because that was what I noticed first of all. And yeah. I thought, you mentioned the symbolism. 60 chapters, yeah. 60, yeah. chapters, 60 well, goals, 60 yeah. minutes in a game.
2: That was totally Dennis's idea. He loves this writer. I believe the writer's believe name is Patterson, James Patterson, write. who writes short chapters. So Dennis said, I, the first thing we said when we agreed we were going to write a book, I said, what kind of a book do you want? He said, I want it to be the kind of a book that I'd want to read. I said, well, what do you like? love James Patterson's short chapters. I want the chapters shortened to the point. No problem we can do that and i said you want you know you want this warts and all i mean we could i said if we're just going to write a, a book about a guy scoring 60 goals that's going to appeal to a hardcore hockey base but do we want to write your story or do we want to write the 60 goal thing so we said i want the story so we went from there because, I mean, he has so many, like, some of the stories are hilarious. You know, drinking an afternoon of a game, being told, hey, you're playing tonight. The f- team's not folding, not getting paid, delivering furniture to Goldie Hawn. He's the farmhand for John Oates from Holland Oates. <laughs> and when Dennis is telling me that, the way he told me he was, he'd say, yeah, I was an Aspen. And a guy came in to ask for if anyone could help with furniture delivery. So, you know, they told him I could. So I went out, and I was his farmhand for a year and a half. It was John Oates. Whoa, 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 what? It was John Oates. You mean like Hall yeah. and Oates, John Oates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back up, back up, back up, up. Okay, what was he wearing when he walked in the furniture? So I'd, right. I'd have to get all these details of him. So all these names randomly pop up in his story, but he also comes to realize it's cool to hang out with all these big names, but the first person you have to be happy and cool to hang out with is yourself. Yeah, that definitely came across. And I mean, yeah.
0: he all you talk about some of these other guys. So, basically for those that don't know a lot about Dennis, he he spent time after he retired. He played, I believe 888 games, Yeah, right around there, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in over 14 seasons, and when he retired, he went to Aspen and he just, went away. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's part of the reason why I think a lot of us don't know as much as we probably should. That's about exactly him. why. Cuz he did stay kind of aloof from he didn't he wasn't an analyst he didn't no. uh, you know he
2: wasn't sort of
1: did the Paul Correa
2: thing yeah he did he did do the sure. Paul Correa thing he went off off the rails he was gone and and the other thing is his his 60 goals does just doesn't doesn't get the attention when you consider he lost the goal scoring race by 32 goals yeah. that season <laughs>
0: and Mike Bossy yeah, I think you, Mike Bossy he he had, he had 60,
2: 64 60 or 66 something yeah and it was hilarious in in doing some research you know, I'm thinking a guy who's got 60 goals. This is going to be a big story. It was literally a, a sidebar in in most of the newspaper. Oh, and Marouk scores 60th as the Caps beat the Leafs. Whoa, 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 whoa! But if you go back to 1982, of course it was a sidebar, because the story was Iskretsky going to score 100? So why wouldn't 60 be a sidebar?
0: And, and he was he was in those 14 seasons playing in markets that weren't well-known. So exactly. Team, right? Yeah, you, know. you
1: yeah. bring up the chapter when he was with the Cleveland Barons, a team that only existed for two seasons and yeah. basically folded into the Minnesota North Stars so yeah. also no longer exists. exist. And they were told, like, the teams out of money were folding. You you mentioned that story. Like, yeah. what was... How did you get that? I don't know, what was the react? What was well, your first reaction of all, before like? You, before yeah.
0: you say it, so, yeah, the
1: story is, we should explain
0: what it is before Ken even yeah. explains how he got it out of them, is they were told they, there was rumors they were folding and then... Uh, one day they thought they were folding. The word got around that they were folding, so they all went out to a bar to have oh, beers, man. only to find out they hadn't folded and they had a game that night while they're all <laughs> drinking
2: pints. Yeah. So, so it's, I mean, he, it's kind of one of Dennis's funny stories he likes to tell. So we expanded on it a bit more. But I thought immediately of the scene in Slapshot where the guys always go to that pharmacy, the soda counter, they have a couple pops, they're watching the soap operas. <laughs> but yeah, the Cleveland Barons finish practice and they're told, hey, guys, that's probably it. That's it. There's no insurance. We're not going to play Buffalo tonight. So they, they do what guys did in the mid '70s. Let's go to the bar. They start drinking at noon, 4:30, 5 o'clock. Someone calls the bar. It's the captain of Cleveland. There, sure, he's right here. <laughs> guys, we got to friggin' play in two hours. So they lost, obviously, but it was oh, it hilarious. was a it was a different time. That's exactly it. It's, it was a
0: different time. I, that could not happen now in any. No, possible. guys
2: would be on their nutrition drinks and you know Imagine playing actually, video games.
1: It also seems like uh, like I've read it. A book someone did about the the Oakland California franchise called Shorthanded and it seems like they just packed up on a whim and said okay we're off to Cleveland it's not going to work here let's just go to Cleveland and there was no real plan.
2: And that's funny because Dennis gets into the whole Cleveland thing and I I said why didn't it work? He said well the the major problem was they played in this Richfield Coliseum so they didn't play in Cleveland and they didn't play in Akron they played halfway between Cleveland and Akron none of the Barons lived in Cleveland there's no connection to the community so it would be kind of like if the Toronto Maple Leafs were supposed to be the Toronto Maple Leafs, but some wise guy came up and said, Okay, but there's a lot of people in Mississauga, so we'll play, you know, halfway in between. It just Yeah, it just (laughs) it just didn't it just didn't make sense. So the Cleveland Barons were I don't know, not the most well run organization. You'll get into that in the book. You'll see that. But that was a thing And, and Throughout Dennis's career, he just kept saying to himself, this, this can't be real. I mean, I've tried so hard my whole life to make it to the National Hockey League. And is this really the National Hockey League? Because I'm playing in Oakland, where it's lame and there's nobody here. <laughs> then I'm home in the summer, I get a phone call, I'm sitting with my wife, and they tell me, hey, pack your bags, you're going to Cleveland. They go to Cleveland, they're playing in an arena that holds 20,000 people, and there's 3,000 people in the stands. Plays there for a couple years, then gets... Tr- the team dissolves he goes to minnesota he's a this total sniper minnesota decides we're not going to play you <laughs> and he's kind of going what do i have to do here so when he got to washington he found eventually found a home and the only reason he found a home is because the team wouldn't trade him they weren't any good but he was there as the team got better and better and better.
1: Yeah, the Capitals, I don't think, made the playoffs until something like their 8th or ninth season. They, they were yeah, in that loaded Patrick division of the early 80s. They made
2: the playoffs for the first time, I believe it was eighty, spring of 82 or spring of 83. And, of course, they line up against the New York Islanders. Right. So, how'd that go? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, I, I, I just wonder, like you sort of mentioned, like all those markets of Northern California, Ohio mm-hmm. now has the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Washington's like now like a yeah. franchise. Like, should, how much should should there be more done for players who play yes. on teams like that? And the,
2: the Washington Capitals, as far as I'm concerned, should have number twenty one hanging from the rafters. They should retire Dennis's number. They they should pay tribute to the guys of the past. I don't know if they do exactly, but. There's a lot of love in Washington for the current Caps, but I think you should go back in time and look what that team put up with uh, to just stick around. They, they actually, And it's in the book. They had to Save the Caps telethon. Oh, telethon. I was going to ask you about that. So, yeah, I had no idea. So that think that about serious. that. Think about... <laughs> can you imagine... Organized by the fans. Organized by the fans, not the team. So you're tuning into to your local uh, affiliate one day in Washington, D.C., and here's a guy going, hey, if you call 1-800 right now and pledge 25 bucks, the caps will stay in, wa- in Washington. That is preposterous to think that there was a Jerry Lewis-style style telethon to keep the Washington Capitals alive. So these guys played through that. I'm sure it was somewhat embarrassing. They played through that. In 82, Dennis is the toast of the 82 All-Star game. He's the last person introduced. It's in D.C., the Washington Capitals should be absolutely loving this guy. They should be absolutely loving him. That clips on YouTube.
0: I watch. Yeah, it's great. And they really, it's it's that. That fan excitement that you you would not get now because right. you'd be drowned out by right. something. It's Some stupid Jumbotron and music. Right, in
1: the yeah. All Star Games, it's like a corporate thing now. Yeah. Right, those right. so real raw. fans were there. It
0: was so raw. It was great seeing it. He mentions you can see it on YouTube in the book, mm-hmm. so I went to see it. Um, so, yeah, the, absolutely. And, and, and
2: it, By the way, in 1982, as a fan, if you wanted to, you could go to practice for the All Star Game. You could just walk in. Yeah, yeah. They were open to the public, there was no tickets, you could just go. So if you were in Landover, Maryland, in 1982, and you wanted to see Wayne Gretzky practice, you could literally walk up to the arena door and walk in. Times have changed.
1: And Ken, kind of something I did want to ask about was how much did the first two books you do help help you develop like the empathy? Because you, you sort of yeah. have so much regard for the, you know the the brandy simchucks and the Brandy yeah. fasts of yeah. the you know the hockey and industry. How much did that sort of lend itself to you know getting the, the depth that you got out of Dennis?
2: I have always loved what card collectors would refer to as a common i've always loved guys who just don't get the respect or the love that they deserve now there's guys whose stories are always going to be told through time that deserve to be told through time but i'm a firm believer that if you make it to the best league in the world you deserve some respect you deserve for your story to be told so i always said to myself man if i could just i could not imagine what it would like the get the sniff or be in a be in an NHL room. i think that'd be incredible. So I've always had a a fondness for guys that just have a cup of coffee career. One of my good buddies is Terry Ryan. He played eight games for the Habs and I just think, man, you played eight games. That's that's incredible. And I mean there's I just think it it should be something that's respected and these stories are not often told. So I thought, you know, I, I love telling these stories, so well, thankfully I had a publisher that, that would that would allow me to tell these stories because let's face it, I think my books are kind of, if you were to equate them to music, Metallica is playing in the same town where I'm playing in a coffee shop trying to play my own acoustic guitar for music I wrote. It's not a broad appeal but if you come in and you open the book up I think you'll really like it and you realize there's, there's more out there than just what's on top of the pop charts and trust me I love what's on top of the pop charts too, I read those books as well.
0: You know, you, you touched on um, about how the alumni, may, you know, maybe or, or just the, the Capitals organization should maybe respect Dennis a little bit more. Am I mm-hmm. paraphrasing you? My, yeah, that... that's fine. I, 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 I put it this way. He should have his number retired. Um, speaking of that, I mean, if you look at his when he played junior in London, mm-hmm. uh, that first and foremost, if anything stands out, it's the fact that his number has not been retired there. He's the fourth leading scorer, uh, in all, you know, in, in history. There's eight numbers retired in London. Only one of those is a player with more points than him, which is Corey Perry. Mm -hmm. Corey Perry has 380 points for London, in I think it's 200 something games. Uh, I think it's 191. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's insane. The points per game Dennis Muruck has racked up, and he's not. He's not. His number's not retired retired in London. It makes no sense. It makes no sense.
2: Yeah, it makes no sense.
0: And so you know, again, does this tie into what you illustrated in the book of him being? Perhaps aloof, going to going to uh, Aspen, just kind of leaving the hockey world. Do you think people? I think so. Forgot about him, and, I, and that's why he's I not recognized. I think so. That
2: could be part of it. I also think that m- maybe numbers back in the day were just taken for granted. You know, but the thing was, don't take the numbers for granted because if they were easy, everybody would have put them up. So I think that's it. Who knows what else? But it's it's a it's a pure mystery why his number isn't retired in London. And I've had people come up to me over the last couple of years. Who heard I was working about on this book and he said, Why isn't Dennis's number retired in London? I said, I have no idea. He doesn't know, but it's not. So maybe that can be your cause, Neil. You can get Dennis's number retired yeah, in London. It would be
1: like the Ottawa 67s not having Bobby Smith's number retired. And right. Which, and they have Bobby Smith's number up, and they've got Dennis Potvin's number up. So, right. So in, your, in
0: the press tours that you've done and wherever you've been over, I'm assuming, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, months, just the last week or so. Has, uh, has that come up a lot? Or is it there, is came
2: there... up from somebody in London. They asked me about it, and I think there'll be a story coming out on that soon. Um, so I would look for that. But if... A lot of London folks that I've run into have, have asked me why, but, I mean, it's the Knights' decision, so it's not my decision.
0: <laughs> you did touch on this in the book, too. He, he didn't initially want to go to London. That, th-
2: that might yeah. Maybe that has something to do with Yeah, Dennis grew up playing in the Marlies organization, and his dream was to play for the Marlies. Uh, unfortunately for him, the Howes wanted Mark and Marty to play together, so Mark was traded from the London Knights to the Marlies and the... The, uh, the Marlies initially said we'll trade you Bruce Boudreau for him and the Knight said no 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 we want Marouk so there's a tie there between Bruce Boudreau and, and Dennis Marouk so Dennis ended up going to London and basically quit hockey he wasn't going to go he was devastated he was a kid mm-hmm. he was crying and, and, and that kind of set the tone maybe for his entire hockey journey because he was just a guy that was continually looked over and passed over but just kept producing and his
0: dad is 90, in the book he's not he might be 91 he's now, I'm not sure. got to be
2: 92, 93,
0: okay, yeah, still so, with us. So we can ask you then how long the process was in terms of timeline for the book. A
2: couple, but, couple
0: three years, okay, yeah. Okay, so his dad is still around, Yes, he is. So his Great is, gentleman. And he wants his dad to see his number go up. So, yeah, it'd anyway, be an awesome I, thing. I am really starting to sound like the guy who's
2: campaigning for this. You startup. can campaign for him. Hey, if, if, this <laughs> book, if this book lets people campaign for... For Dennis to get his number retired, I'm all for that. Please, yeah, ask why. Because, uh, I mean, look, everybody, they're a private organization. They can do what they want. But if I were them, I'd like to have his number up there.
1: Yeah, yeah, before, you know, eventually they're going to have to get to, like, Marner and domine. Well, and and, yeah. But they got to do, they got to get to Maruk first. I know
2: Dennis is going to go down and do an alumni night this, uh, this fall uh, with the book. That's going to mean a lot to him. So he still has a great relationship with the Knights. I'd... That's just one of those things.
1: Hard to believe there was a time in London was a place a player didn't want. to Didn't want to yeah. go. Had, yeah, had, had to point. get had to get that in there. Uh, Ken, I'm just wondering, yeah. like when you before you, like when you were like what sort of author did you hear to read in this genre? Do you have any favorites?
2: Do I have favorite authors? Um, I love you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I love I love Brunt. I love Stephen Brunt. Obviously, um, every good Canadian love Stephen Brunt I thought searching for Bobby Orr was amazing it really was Um, uh, I loved Terry Ryan's book I just thought that was just raw and honest and it was just very pure Uh, one of my favorite books of all time about hockey is Rebel League about the WHA that's a book I I simply Mm -hmm. adore but I mean if there's a hockey book out there chances are I'll read it (laughs) and and I have I've, I've read a lot of them but it's it's one of my favorite things to do is just sit back with a good hockey book and, and see how far I get into it. But, I mean, Rebel League was, was big for me. I, I, I've got this fascination with the 70s and the WHA, which I'm not really sure why. It must be embedded into my mind somewhere because I just have this soft spot for the WHA. Um, I have a soft spot for, for a guy like Dennis, whose hockey cards I remember as a kid. I mean, you got Gratuni the Looney sitting over there. With Greg Oliver, I cannot wait to read that. I got my copy signed the other night by Jill's and Greg. I mean that; those are my kind of stories—just these the hardcore hockey stories that that I I just uh, just adore.
1: This is going to be embarrassing. One time in elementary school, I chose the WHA as my public speaking. Topic, That's cool.
2: That's good. Even though the league folded
1: when I was two years old. Oh
2: really? There you go. You're the same deal. Well, I, I for my one of my public speaking things, it's hilarious. In grade six, I won. My grade level at McCullough Junior High in Picto, Nova Scotia, and I had to go to the county championships. And mine was meeting the Edmonton Oilers in 1985. They played an exhibition game. And a big part of the speech was Mike Kruzelnicki, because Mike was extremely nice to my brother and I. And now I emcee gigs where Mike Kruselnitsky's there and I have to introduce him. So it's it's funny how the world works out.
0: You know, you just touched on the WHA. Mm-hmm. And I just want, this is a, you're going to sneak peek into Cartoony the Looney. Yeah. Do you mind reading to our listeners uh, the
2: first couple of lines there? Chapter 5 going national. If someone tells you that they really believe the World Hockey Association will work, they're full of shit. No one did. I was there in 1972. One of the players who made the decision to try the upstart league out of nowhere competitors to the established NHL. Personally, I didn't think the WHA would survive. I figured by January that I'd be on the beach in Florida, that the league would fold. Yeah? (laughs) But but you know what? You got to... If they offer you the big bucks that the W.H.A. did, you got to take the coin.
1: Yeah, that was so simple. I stumbled across this treasure trove of Abs. NFL films. Yeah. Specials, and it was like about Larry Zonka and Jim Kayak and Paul yeah. Warfield yeah. leaving the dynasty Miami Dolphins. And Don It was just like, you guys got to do what you got to do. Yeah. They're, they're you, giving you $3.5 over two years.
2: You got to get paid. 1974. So. Why not? <laughs> Seriously, how how long is an athlete's prime last? It's funny, Dennis never really had the W.H.A. come after him that hard. But for him, it was it was always the NHL. That's what he always always wanted to play in.
0: I'm going to ask you, I guess switch gears a little bit. Um, and there's a chapter. I'm not sure which one it was. Maybe chapter 45 mm-hmm. or something. And mm-hmm. it was called Christians and the Lions. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this kind of is going to tie into uh, what you had to leave on the cutting room floor. Because yeah. that, uh, that chapter, <laughs> in a really funny way, kind of explains the divide that was in that dressing room during that time. Uh, between hardcore Christians yeah. and the rest of the team mm-hmm. and the way you guys kind of talked about it or Dennis talked about it was Randy Holt yeah. and I, I thought it was a kind of a perfect microcosm from what I know about that story because Randy Holt's on the airplane and he pulls out a bible and he reads the bible and he puts it back and then all of a sudden he pulls out a penthouse yeah (laughs) yeah so like i mean he was like the team he was split he was split exactly yeah now i'm not gonna say that you went in and and thought hey and went onto this higher level and said hey maybe we'll put randy holt or dennis no randy holt in there as an example that was just a story dennis told me but if you got to take it go ahead this is 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 the podcast yeah we'll come back All right, we're back up, guys. Um, Ken, how was your? Uh, first of all, um, we we touched on this one, and I'm going to stop saying we touched on this because it's like the twentieth time I've said that. Is that your trigger word? It is. Yeah, well, we, we touched just, on this. this
1: That's stuff. like the time. Uh, remember when we Neil Neil and I? For people who don't know, we mm-hmm. we got to know each other when we were attending a university together in Kingston, and we were the hockey and football broadcasters. I just remember the one time I was nervous. We had Fred O'Donnell on. Former Queens coach, former OHL coach, former yeah. NHL and WHL player. And I think I started every question with, certainly. <laughs> so
2: what well, like, happens, Neil. I always hate when, when someone answers a question and the, the person says, absolutely, absolutely. My wife gets on me because she says, I say, you know, too much.
0: Well, <laughs> Randy Carlisle, when I was covering the Leafs, would start every sentence, even if it was the first question he was asked with, again, again, like you <laughs> answered this 100. So we all have those. And mine... Today on our first ever sports lit podcast seems to be you've touched on this, so I'm going to try and avoid saying that. So kick me under the table, Nate, if I uh, say that again. Okay, we're back. Ken, we talked about yeah, we uh, touched on it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we <laughs> talked about the uh, the the tragic, not the tragic, but the the passing of, of Gord Downey. We we knew he was going to yeah. going to die, and it's very sad. Um, what a unique gentleman, a Canadian icon, and you were just uh, you just had to take a call there to. Yeah,
2: I had to record a little something with Ron McLean, who knew Gord a little bit. And uh, I mean, Ron has so much. He says things eloquently, he puts things in perspective much the way Gord Downey could. So it was an honor to talk to Ron about Gordon. I mean, I, I was just thinking today. I'm 43. I bet you I've been listening to The Hip for over a quarter of a century. So they were kind of, they were definitely the soundtrack of my late teens and 20s. I cleaned the house on Sunday, and in order to get motivated to clean it while I was cleaning it, I just cranked day for night. So thank you, Gord, for everything you did. It was, uh, it was just a, a thrill and an honor to be a hip fan, and it's something I'll always be a hip fan.
0: Yeah, and I mean, me and Nate talked about it earlier too. I mean, if you want to reiterate, what yeah, you there's
1: said. not much I can add on top of that. Other than I always say, if you want to know what it was like to grow up in Kingston? If you were like yeah. born, I guess, anytime after 1975, it's like just just look at the start of Small Town Bringdown, the video of it. Yep, with all those like you know shots of Kingston, all the all the grayness of it.
2: Kingston almost became Canada's town. It's there's I heard someone say today on the radio, and it was very true. There's a lot of Kingston's. Like, hey, Kingston mm-hmm. kind of became yeah. our our town. I don't know if people from Kingston know that, but it means a lot to people from all across Canada because of the hip, because of grapes, because of Kirk, because of Dougie. you know that's Kingston we we, uh, we all love Kingston. Dougie actually as a has a book out right now too. Dougie has a book out. I can't wait to read it with Dan Robson. Dougie's gonna sportsnet guy. Sportsnet guy. Dougie's gonna have some great stuff in there. So go to the bookstore. Go to Amazon and buy Dennis Marook and buy Doug Gilmore. Buy Killer. I noticed on Amazon when you click on Dennis's book and it says often bought together. It shows Killer's book and the Marook book. So that's an, an honor to think that people are looking at Dennis on I when they're looking at Dougie. But I, I, I man, big Doug Gilmore fan. Love that guy. Big Dan Robson fan, fantastic writer. So yes, buy Keller and buy the Dennis Marook book, by all means.
0: Um, a lot of a lot of Leaf books came out last year because of the hundredth anniversary. Mm-hmm. So this one, Wendell Clark's, who also had a mm-hmm. great mustache. Uh, Dennis's mustache, Dennis
2: Marook's mustache is a little less known, I
0: think. Would you say than Wendell's mustache?
2: Oh yeah, Wendell's on the back of the book. So Wendell, Wendell even comments. I I think if we look at like we get we get right to it. We don't want to. The chapter two is called the white black gray elephant in the room and it's on Dennis's mustache because it just has to be out of it and the, the here's a qu- I, I put quotes from various people who Dennis came across in his life so this is a quote from Wendell Clark under the the chapter heading for chapter two Dennis had one of the best Fu-manchus in the league today sometimes still tries to groove it except it's gray he led the 70s look in the league it would have been noticed more, but he was in Washington. And so, Dennis, yeah, Dennis and Wendell. And it's funny because Dennis's last game against the Leafs, Dennis played nasty his whole career. He had to, to survive. His last game against the Leafs, he cross-checked Wendell Clark right over the forehead. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. And I brought it up to Wendell. And... He said, Gee, "He said, really? I, I didn't recall that." And he's and they play in a lot of charity tournaments together now. So now Dennis is a little fear, fearful that Wendell might take a run at him. I don't know, but Wendell never did get him back. And Dennis laughs because he just says, "That was my last game against the Leafs. He never got me." Yeah. Um,
0: and 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 Dennis is from Toronto. That's another. Mm-hmm. And, and he still lives here now, right? He, did he move back here?
2: Lives in Etobicoke. Right. He's got a nice condo. He's met a nice lady. Um, <laughs> he's a great guy to play hockey with. If you're ever in a Plays in a lot of uh, old-timers games, Easter Seals tournaments. If you're ever in an Easter Seals tournament, and I'm in one soon, here's my tip. Draft Dennis Marouk. He is a lot of fun. A lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I think he said he he, he actually really likes uh, setting someone up for a goal.
2: He does. And he played on our—at Sportsnet, we had a team in an Easter Seals tournament last year. He likes setting guys up for goals. The problem with the Sportsnet team is we couldn't finish. <laughs> it, it, he wanted to break the rest of Brendan Dunlop, one of our anchors, because he, Marouk gave him more goals on the stick, and Dunlop just couldn't get it done. Couldn't convert. No, oh, oh, Swedish and no finish. Yeah, there you go. Exactly.
0: Um, talking about the Leafs and playing against the Leafs, he was involved in, uh, you know, we're all roughly the same age here, mm-hmm. one of the most interesting kind of, I guess, Looney Tune things that ever happened during the Ballard years. He was in that game where uh, Cicerelli... Yeah. Uh, was it Luke, Luke Richardson? Luke Richardson, yeah. Where, where, where he got ar- did he get arrested after the game? Or yeah, tried- he was
2: arrested and all kinds of... Lo- Looney Tunes is a good way to put it because I'm sure Ballard would have really pressured the cops into doing something if the, the stick was in the other hands, we'll put it. <laughs> but yeah, Dennis was around for a lot of stuff and he played through the gong show Chuck Norris division yes. when it was the Chuck Norris division. So... Imagine being 160 pounds and, you know, uh, everybody's around. Bob Probert's around. You name them, they're around. Willie, Willie Platt's around. All kinds of guys are around. So he, he played through a tough time.
0: Before, um, I'm going to digress a bit because before you took the call, um, we were asking you about that one chapter, uh, the Christians and the Lions, mm-hmm. and I wanted to know, what, what uh, was the lot – left on the cutting room floor like in terms not of not much
2: not just that not much part, but no. the whole book was it. uh the whole book no not really um there were some things that we, we definitely didn't name names because nobody wants to be a tattletale but um Except for Gilles graton oh did he name names okay <laughs> so we didn't name names we didn't do that um there wasn't a lot left on the cutting room floor no we uh we kind of put put most things in there uh there might have been a you know Dennis doesn't swear a lot so we didn't have to take out some expletives but uh, you know there I think we kind of got into to everything we needed to get into I mean I uh but no not a lot of stuff left on the cutting room floor to answer your question the christians and the lions thing was interesting cuz I talked to Brian Murray about that I talked to Mike Gartner about that and Brian Murray's thing was kind of like do whatever you want just don't don't bring it into the room and don't divide the room and I don't think the caps were really divided over it they just had a lot of guys that were that were christian fellas and they they all they all got along, along. the christians in the lines from what i can gather got along pretty well
0: the uh the backstory behind that is john pronovo actually mm-hmm. was um a born again christian and then i think that's how um uh mike gartner got into it and mm-hmm. maybe ryan walter i think yes.
2: ryan is yeah that, that was the one thing dennis said in the book is he'd always would always take the lord's name in vain and yeah he then he kind of oh geez and he was always doing it in front of guards and Mike Gardner was so helpful in getting this book together. Right. He had a lot of great things to say about Dennis. And Mike was a guy that, that lost track of Dennis when Dennis went away. Because Dennis disappeared. I mean, if you ever want to know how to get into the Witness Protection Program, consult oh. Dennis Marouk. I mean, there's, he was gone for a good 10, 15 years. But I'm, I'm happy to say he's back. And, and when he was gone, I don't think he was just gone from the public eye he was gone to trying to figure out what was going on and who he was and I think that comes through in the book well that's exactly it
0: I mean it, it you know, so much I want to say and I, I think I actually have the time to say it now I'm just trying to prioritize what I want to ask <laughs> first um, so I, I will say this uh, just building on, on what you said I mean that's the the you know he he basically identifies that you know he was a hockey player that's all he ever knew to how to do and wanted to do and when he when he stopped yeah the, he kind of lost himself and and we there is a there is a program now with the league where they, is. they help you adjust right I mean um do you know anything about that program
1: and like wh- wh- I mean how not
2: much I know uh, well here's the thing about the NHL alumni program mm. they do an awesome job but you only ever hear about the stuff that
1: The success
2: stories. Well, yeah, you don't hear about the success stories in a lot of instances because Mm. the guys don't want you to know. So sometimes you hear bad things, but I think they do a pretty good job. But, yeah, so Dennis's passion in life was hockey. It was the one thing he knew. Now, pitcher being 34 years old, he was injured and had to stop. So let's say your passion in life is music. And then when you're 34, someone comes, they take your guitar, and they smash it and say, you can't do this anymore. But your passion in life is teaching, and they come to you in the, at your thir- and you're 34 years old and they say, sorry, but you can't do this anymore. I think we forget that about professional athletes, that someone ultimately tells them, you can't do what you love anymore. And somebody told that to Dennis, and he kind of didn't know what to do. The players in that day, as Dennis likes to say, were always told that they'd be taken care of. Well, as soon as he was no longer a factor on the ice, he was useless to the organization they, they tried to get him to sell tickets or something mm-hmm. but he was of no use as a hockey player so the one thing he did his entire life that separated him from his, his from everybody he knew the one thing he was paid to do was taken away from him mm. now you might say oh he probably made a lot of money as a player well the most Dennis ever made in a season was $300,000 mm-hmm. you might think that's good money in 1985 it is however three kids couple divorces you know that there's not enough money to, to last you for the rest of your life so he had to figure out what to do and it took him a long time to figure it out and the book really gets into that i'd say that 20 year period where 15 20 year period where dennis is just wondering who the hell am i and, and what can i do
1: and nate you can and, and there's kind of a universal like to that right Ken? Mm-hmm. And i mean I, I, I when i was sort of reading it and rereading the last few chapters uh what what really struck me was like, well, there's a lot of like life advice in here for anyone, I think, <laughs> yeah, from age 40 onward, like, there is. especially for men, because men, you know, we, we supposedly don't talk about our feelings. We and don't. All that. But he really gets into that, and he says, hey, like, go get your, you know, go get your heart checked, even if you're feeling a little bit bad. Mm-hmm. Go to a doctor. Don't you know, try to play the tough guy and all I, that. I think
2: don't play the tough guy is a good uh, overall message from the book. It, don't play the tough guy in terms of your feelings. Share your feelings. Tell people you love them. Get your body checked out and do what you love. Now, Dennis loves to play hockey, so I don't want to give the ending away, but do what you love. So, there's a reason he's out playing in old timers games now and playing in Easter Seals tournaments and playing in charity tournaments around Canada. He does it because he loves it.
0: So, in talking about that, 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 period of time where, where when he left hockey now we talked about obviously he went to Aspen and worked on you know John Oates's ranch from Holland Oates but he was also in the Gulf of Mexico mm-hmm. on a ship like unloading containers I think he was a stevedore right Is yeah it-
2: he was working in a, a casino in Lake Charles Louisiana for a while he right. worked in a casino in Vegas for about three months he was he mm-hmm. was as far away from hockey as you could imagine now he still helped coach in Aspen a little bit and you know, he was coaching some, some minor pro for a while in the Whipple uh, <laughs> yeah. when he made his brief con- comeback at the age of 43, which is pretty hilarious. But he had to figure out who he was because the only thing he knew was hockey. And uh, that's, 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 that's a challenge that none of the three of us had to go- ever go through. But I can only imagine what it's like when someone comes up to you and says, you're of no use to us anymore. You can't. We're not going to pay you any money anymore to do what you love to do. To do right. the only thing you've ever known to get a paycheck.
1: Yeah, and it's like how like very rarely does anyone really ever get to go out on their own terms. I true. Remember a line uh, Bob Howes, the old Eskimo Edmonton Eskimos center had. He's like very seldom do you get to win your last game, and I was like, wow, true. Like, I never really thought about that. And, that's, and he's a guy who actually did win his last yeah, game as and, a player.
2: And it's something oh. players aren't really talking about much until now, because I think a lot of players were always told, "Hey, you're, you know how lucky you are," and that's true, but they were never told. You know how lucky you are, but one day you're going to have to deal with this big stop sign in front of you that says you can't do this anymore. And now they do a great job managing players, helping them with their finances. The PA does a great job. Back then, the guy in charge of the PA was Alan Eagleson. How much do you think he gave a frig about what the hell happened to those players? So they they really couldn't take care of themselves in a lot of cases because they were told you'll be taken care of you just take care of what's on the ice everything else will fall into place well everything didn't always fall into place that is he's a prime example of that
0: he his career basically ended when i think he blo- uh, tried to block, block a shot, Ledyard shot yeah. and, he, and it, it, his shin pad went out, i guess moved out of the way and he yeah. just destroyed his left smashed his right? knee yeah that's um, it um and that was around 1989 mm-hmm. um in uh, in the book too, you you mentioned Alan Eagleson. Um, he does not really have anything bad to say about Alan Eagleson. He doesn't. We can, no,
2: which, is that me. just because he's just a really nice guy, or Dennis is not? Dennis is a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, it's funny too because I read I just finished reading the book on Alan Eagleson that was written in 1994 from the man from the Lawrence Eagle Tribune. When, yes, Ross Conway. Ross Conway. Yes. Nice uh, name. What was
0: the book called again? Nate? Uh, I think it was like Game, Game Misconduct. Conduct. Yeah, great. Yeah, book. Great just book. just
2: finished that. Fantastic book, but. Dennis sa- his "Yeah, I mean, he gets into his thoughts on on Eagleson. Some people might find them a little shocking, but
0: uh, yeah, it's shocking know. in that he just doesn't seem to hold any." Ill Dennis willful.
2: isn't Dennis isn't a grudge holder. Uh, he's a nice, he's a really nice guy. I mean, he gets along famously, but fabulously with his first wife, his ex wife. Yes. And I must say, his family was so helpful in putting this book together. So thanks to them. But, I mean, his first wife, I talked to her on the phone and I just hung up the phone and I go, that might be the nicest person I've ever talked to in my life. Then I hung up the phone with his his, his daughter. That might be the nicest person I ever talked to in my life. Hang up the phone with his son, John. That might be the nicest <laughs> person I ever talked to in my life. Ha- ta- talk to his daughter, Jay Lynn. Right. That might be the nicest person I ever do- talked to in my life. And, and, I mean, family's a big part. I mean, they get into how they adopted a, a little girl from Korea. There's all kinds of things that, that you don't think you'll see in a hockey book. Sure. here.
0: Yeah, and, and 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 the part of the book is they talk about going to the meetings, and there's a group of people around them that can't have kids, and they could, they just wanted to adopt. <laughs> yeah, uh, a kid who, and she is now in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, like she's on the TV show Scorpion or yeah, something. Yeah, like she
2: does acting. She teaches, uh, uh, like I don't know what the word is, but not martial arts, but swords and things like oh, that, yeah. archery, there are all kinds of crazy stuff. He's got some beautiful kids. He's got some beautiful grandkids. One of my favorite things about writing this book was getting to know dennis and last year he went and played in one of those outdoor games in minnesota and you know i usually wouldn't watch the minnesota wild play in an outdoor game with their alumni because i wouldn't care but i wanted to watch because it was dennis and he was so proud going down because his son john was Mm going to be in the crowd with his two grandkids sure enough first goal of the game classic marook half clapper left wing total (laughs) snipe show and he had the biggest smile on his face, and I was sitting at home, and I was so happy because I knew how much that meant to him to score in front of the kids. That that authentic mm. look at Grandpa moment, and that's the joy that Dennis still gets from the game. And there's
0: two number nines in that game. That's right. Uh, and and the other one obviously is Mike Medano. So mm-hmm. he was the last person to wear number nine before Madano got it, and now it's right. out of. I guess it's out of circulation. It's out of circulation. Yeah. Dennis gave it to Mike. Yeah. Yeah, in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, but but that that's kind of I, I, you could. Tell from the book, he took some pride in that. Total, yeah, huge pride in that. In a way, his jersey's been somewhat retired, yeah. or in a, to a degree. Loves, you the,
2: loves the guys. I mean, at the Lindros tournament last year, Dennis was just a hoot. And, I mean, Eric's a big fan of Dennis, and Eric didn't know that Dennis was a sixty goal guy. You know, no, nope. yeah. like, he's just this really nice man who who once upon a time scored sixty. It's, it's it's cool. And there's but there's so much more to him than sixty goals, and that's that's what we wanted people to know is. In a hockey record book, it'll say sixty goal scores, and the name Dennis Maruk is on there. But we wanted people to know who this guy was because he's a pretty, fan, pretty fantastic guy with, I think, just an incredible story.
0: Nada, well, I was gonna, you know, I was gonna ask you. Um, it is kind of an incredible story for sure. Uh, and and what I liked about the book were, were these quotes that you kind of started each chapter with, mm-hmm. and you talked about talking
2: uh, to his wife uh, and whoever else, Brian Murray. Yeah, uh, bro. Uh, uh, you know what rest in peace primer he was he called me uh middle of a july day from his cottage didn't have to such a gentleman mm. beautiful things to say so thank you mr murray and
0: and 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 these quotes kind of start each chapter and mm. and
2: uh, how did you decide that that's kind of was that the publisher or did no, you no that just came into my head at some point i don't know how it's probably something i saw before i just thought i'd i'd like to start each chapter with someone else talking about dennis just to get their perspective as opposed book. because let's face it, when you tell a story, it's your story. There's other sides to it. So that was my way of working other people into the book, I guess.
0: Do you want to know um, you know, what a respectable journalist I am? I did sure. some background. Uh, I made some calls before this interview, and you know who I got a hold of? Gary Green. Oh really greener. Greener.
2: Our old uh, NHL and network he says buddy. Hi, and he's oh, very sweet, happy. Sweet. So me
0: and Ken actually worked at the NHL network and now Ken's at Sportsnet and he said he's really happy to see that you are where you're at right oh, now. Oh, so that's Den. awesome. Say hi to Greener for I me. I will. And he, mm-hmm. and he said hi to to say hi to Dennis who couldn't be here today, but I hope you can relay that to I will. I um, will. So he coached Dennis. So Gary Green was the youngest ever. And I think still twenty six years yeah. old was the youngest ever coach in NHL. I always a... wondered
1: how that worked. Because <laughs> yeah. because when you used to get the hockey news as a kid, yeah, it would be like, oh, you know, Gary Green's coaching at this hockey school, and it, and it was like former Washington Capitals coach, and I went, like,
2: what? Huh? he's twenty. Like, yeah. He looks like
1: he's like looks like, looks like about the same age as my dad. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, right. He was
2: probably possible? younger than your dad. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah he was. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, Sorry to no, it, <laughs> it,
0: but Gary, Gary was taught. I asked him to just give me some memories and, and just, yeah. you know, and he, 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 the thing that I, I enjoyed talking to Gary the most about was a part in this book towards the end where Dennis talks about, uh, being a goals coach like a, yes and, and yes and and what i talked with gary about was the idea of, of adam oates for example as a skills coach with yeah. zach parise and you remember that created a bit of a rift with mike yo oh a few years ago yeah. just the idea of these specialty coaches and and i you know i asked gary about that and he said you know you know the, the idea you you could turn that into something steve
2: Shutt did it for the montreal canadians in the mid-90s oh really had steve a okay. like, goal scoring coach just here's what you do in tight and, it's amazing. We spend so much time teaching defense. And, and I always was of the mind, you either have hands or you don't. And Dennis is no, you can teach it. And he gets into there. He, he gives you some goal scoring tips. So there you go in your men's league. Buy this book. It's a how-to. Do you think he, has he, since you've written this, has he made a go of that at all? Has he been able to? He teaches at hockey schools. Okay. Um, but nothing, he was coaching junior for a while last year in a junior A loop before he had his health scare with his heart. Right. So he had to give that up. But Dennis can teach you how to put the puck in the net. And it is amazing in the NHL with everything that is so, so overcoached. Every aspect of the game, the one thing that's not overcoached, let alone isn't even coached at all, is skills. Because there's independent skills coaches, like your Adam Oates. But, I mean, yeah, if any NHL team out there is looking for a sniper to help them out, give, give Dennis a call, we'll hook you up.
1: Yeah, it's like an imagined, like NBA teams always have like coaches assigned to work with individual players i mean right
2: football they have an offensive coordinator you know in hockey they know
1: position coaches yeah baseball they have the hitting instructor
2: right right uh, it's amazing so so i had a grab bag of
0: questions what i wanted to do if dennis was here was i was gonna whenever there became like a, a a low point or a dull point in our conversation which there never could be with ken and nate and myself i was gonna Pull this question out of a bag—a random question—but I said, you know what? Let's let's just use these now. And one of sure. my questions was was going to be for for um, Dennis. Aside from Bruce Willis, so am
2: I playing Dennis here? W-
0: well, well, we'll we can just kind of work this in and see if yeah. maybe you can pretend to. W- what would Dennis do, or yeah. what would he say? But um, I don't I don't know if it applies to this question. But aside from Bruce Willis who else that's famous that's bummed to smoke off him in the book first yeah, bummed the smoke He's off bumming him and hacks off I, I think it was at Kevin Costner's house It was dude. at Kevin Costner's wedding, wedding at his, yeah. so Dennis yeah. was like in uh, putting up uh, De- or Kevin Costner had a uh, a theme yeah. of what dance the wolf field, field of dreams, dreams. Yeah. For, for his wedding and Dennis put up the I guess whatever the decoration. Help decorate. Yeah. And so Bruce Willis tapped him on the shoulder and bummed a smoke. So don't, I was just going to ask. tell Demi. Who else? Who? What other famous people have bummed a smoke off Dennis Murak? I bet there's been more than one or two. <laughs> what? What do you think is Dennis Marouk's favorite Holland and out song? Is it Man Eater? Yeah. She's out of touch. Yeah. Or uh, you know what? I forgot the other one. I was going to ask. Out of those two What do you think would be uh,
2: Dennis likes The soulful stuff He okay. gets, likes to get His drum groove on Right um, Out of touch Probably Yes yeah. but, well, you Or can't the Maneater The way Maneater Starts Is pretty good and, and for anyone That knows music By the way Hall and Oates Are unbelievable awesome. Musicians Watch like, Daryl's house On YouTube It's incredible I haven't seen it I'm going to Watch that watch you, yeah. Him are and CeeLo Green Do a little I can't go for that It's amazing
0: if you ask legitimate musicians, and the only reason I say I this, I remember is,
1: which band it was did a thing where they would play the instruments in the car while they were they were. In the, in the touring van, and they did one where they play, like, I, I, I Can't Go For That while, yeah. they're, while they're driving.
2: I Can't Go For That is awesome, the one he does with CeeLo as well. Do the
0: they ever tour. jam, uh, um, uh, John? Well, he said Dennis. John
2: He said John would always want to talk about hockey, and Dennis would always want to talk <laughs> about <laughs> music. But Dennis has gotten up on stage with some musicians before. He does the bongos. And I love the fact that Dennis Baruch is 62 years old, and he just took his first guitar lesson two weeks ago, so never stopped But he could play, though. Could he not, or no? He's, He's learning. He'd, he'd he took listen. guitar back in the day. Yeah. Okay. But now he's back into it.
1: There's a surprising amount of hockey players who learn guitar.
2: Well, look how many hockey players love tunes. I mean, we're, we're ta- here. We are recording this on the day that our yes. Gord Downey passed, and I mean, the hip and hockey—they're mm. just they're just linked, you know. And Absolutely. you're skating around in warm-up music. That's how you get your groove on. You get your little pep in your step. You get your flow going. going. You need the tunes, man. Um. Speaking of hockey players that can play guitar, um, now, the foreword in this book was... It was supposed to be Brian Troce, but we ended up going with Marcel Dion, but Brian was going to write it too. And he can play... He's a very good guitarist. Brian is awesome. I'm happy to say that last year, during Hockey Day in Canada, I jumped up on stage with Brian Trace and Dave Bedini, and we sang Mojo Working. So we're working on it again (laughs) this year. We're going to Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, so uh, I'm definitely going to be... Singing a tune with trotch for trots for sure.
0: He grew up in a in a traveling band. Yeah, they had the was yeah. a family band.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so what? The last grab bag question, mm-hmm. and this is gonna be a this is gonna be a trivia question for him, which would probably be hard for him. It's gonna be way harder for you. He was inducted into the Etobicoke. Etobicoke is mm-hmm. a suburb of Toronto, by the way, for our listeners, uh, whoever that they, who might not know that. Anyway, he was inducted into the Etobicoke Hall of Fame in two thousand four. Name the two other people that played an NHL game that were inducted the same year as him.
2: The oh. same year?
0: Yeah. Oh There's my. Two player, two NHL. Okay, leaders. Craig Ramsey.
2: No. Okay, give. Like, I know he's from Etobicoke. Etobicoke. Yeah. I know Craig's from Etobicoke. Um. Okay, give me a hint. I'm not an Etobicoke okay. aficionado. You worked.
0: One of these guys was an analyst with you at NHL Network, or at least he was an analyst at NHL Network. I don't know if you. Bill Berg. Correct. Nope. Uh, Did play for the Leafs and has won two Stanley
2: Cups. Oh, Dave Reed? Dave Reed. Okay. Yes Dave guy. Reed. Big hockey card collector. Shout yes. out Dave Reed. His son's taking broadcasting as well.
0: Oh, okay. See, okay, he so learned something new on the show. Dave Reed, no relation. Okay. The, the last guy um, is uh, played in the original six area. Okay. Era. And uh, how do I? I don't know. Uh, I played for the Leafs and Red Wings. Okay. And I'm, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure
2: he played for both the Leafs and Red Wings. Okay. Uh, well, it's not Red Kelly. It is Red Kelly. Oh, it's Red, Red Kelly. Man, you know, no, no, I'm good. There you yeah. go.
1: So Red, Red lived in Etobicoke.
2: I was going to say, why would Red be in the Etobicoke Sports Hall of Fame? But he lived there? Maybe. I always there. thought he was from Midtown. But if you're Etobicoke, yeah. you got to honor Red, Red Kelly.
1: Red's from uh, Simcoe, Ontario, really. Right? Yeah, it's wow. Midtown now. Yeah. Well, Simcoe has the claim of fame. I think it's the smallest town to have two Norris Trophy
2: winners. Oh, wow. Blake, Blake, Rob Blake. Yeah. Now, you want to talk about a nice man, Red Kelly? Oh, my goodness. I met him last year. So we started talking, and I got him to sign his book. He said, Who's this us It's from your father. Where's your father? Oh, he lives down in Nova Scotia. I used to have a player from Nova Scotia named Lowell Mcdonald, he said, and Lowell's from where I'm from. Pictou County. Pictou County. I re- relayed that message to Lowell, and honest to God, Lowell went on about Red, how much he loved Red. Lowell's an interesting story. He, had, he was a good player, got, developed a fear of flying, quit the L.A. Kings where Red was coaching, went back to the University of Nova Scotia. Red, Red got a job in Pittsburgh. He said, Lowell, you got to come. you got to try it. We, you know, we were not, the flights aren't that bad. And he went and had a great career in Pittsburgh. And he said, "Red Kelly, you saved my career." So he's so many nice things to say about Red Kelly, who's just such a gentleman.
0: You must, uh, you must. Uh, in all the research you've done for year, this is your third book. You got a fourth one coming out mm-hmm. next year. Just you must. There must be tons of these types of stories. Yeah,
2: that's the people cool so thing.
0: Interconnected. That's the
2: cool thing. You 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 find that this guy knows this guy, who knows this guy, who knows this guy, and yeah, that's one of the the cool things is the connections that doing this. The, the, first off, the connections it brings yourself. And second, the connections you learn about people through the game and you learn how small the game is. Of your
0: books, um, what's been the best seller so far? I mean, I know um, you can't know.
2: Hockey Card Stories and One Night Only sold right about the same okay so they both were Canadian bestsellers so I'll take that so national bestselling author or as I call it okay. guy who wrote a, wrote a book
0: well we'll have to make sure we, next time Ken's on we introduce him as such and get him a better oh, yeah. chair
2: oh well, I usually wear an when I'm talking <laughs> books and, but I'm hoping to be hope, obviously you know you're hoping to be three time national bestseller because I really want people to, to know this story Dennis has I think it's a pretty special story it's just it's it's different and you know it's, it's, it's up my alley so that's why I took an interest in it because it wasn't to get rich
0: <laughs> uh um nate uh nate, i don't know if you noticed this but um i guess this is my question there's archives in
2: here from like the washington post i think robert Fashey is that geez the... i'll have to come to this uh this library branch and i usually go to the one on the beaches
0: <laughs> uh, well, there, 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 there there's there's elements in this book of, of you going back to old yeah. stories yeah. how did the, did you go did you is it you online?
2: No, go online. On. I'd go online and research archives, or I'd mm-hmm. buy the, 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 the No, the uh, the password that you need to get into the archives. Of, I mean, was there was I Washington Post in I here? Think it was I think Washington Post has a pretty exhaustive. Yeah, they were published. good. Like, every,
1: uh, you can, like everything they've ever published is online. I think, kind of
2: like the New York Times. Yeah, and I got a buddy who uh, has a has a New York library card who helped me. Oh, get, boy. <laughs> you know, so so there's a, there's different ways to um, find things out.
0: You know, you talked about admiring a guy like Stephen Brunt, and I remember yeah. going to your book launch uh, for—I think it was one night over yeah, there last year—and um, you said, yeah, listen, I'm—I'm—you know, I'm not Stephen Brunt. I, that he's an author. i yeah, exactly. So, but, but it, I mean, with that said, now working on your fourth book, like, do you feel no. breaking through no. and getting? No, you, do you? And is that something you want to do? Because I mean, you have all your hands in many parts. Well, your
2: broadcast. I, dude. I okay, so. I look at myself, who's a guy who's curious, who loves to tell hockey stories. It just so happened I wrote this one. These ones down. I'm a guy who's curious, who loves hockey stories. Some nights I just talk about them on TV. I, sent, I signed a book for Scott Morrison, who was nice enough to come to our lunch, and I put to Scott, a real author from me, a guy who writes books. <laughs> so when I think of author, I think of a, a smart person. So <laughs> I don't know, but I think of, I'm not dumb by any means, but I think uh, maybe a lot of people who write books feel the same way. Um, It's an honor that somebody would take a chance on me. It's an honor when somebody picks a book up and buys it that has my name on it. But I'm just a guy that writes books, and I think that comes through in my writing style. People say, oh, when when I read your books, I can hear your voice. I'm like, well, that's that's great because that's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm not a fancy writer. I'm just, you know, meat and potatoes, beer hat, drink my beer and write my books. Probably not at the same time.
1: How you, how do you stay on schedule to do that? I mean, you have got your hosting yeah. connected like every weeknight. But
2: the greatest thing in the history of the planet is a deadline. So <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, if there's a deadline, I will meet it, but sometimes when I was when I was finishing hockey card stories too this fall. And this is why I think I might take a little bit of a break from writing. You ha- yeah yeah yeah, got to go pretty hard at sometimes, right? So I'm not a guy that writes by schedule, but when I feel it, I'll write. But as the deadline approaches, I'm like, geez, i got to get this done. So I went really hard for a couple of months last winter to finish Hockey card Stories too. And my little guy, Jacoby, came up to me and he said, Daddy, when are you done writing your book? <laughs> I said, Friday. He said, when is Friday? I said, in two days. He said, Daddy, can we play in two days? And I thought, okay, oh, wow. it's time to take a bit of a writing break. Right. So, uh, But I enjoy it. It's something I, I love telling hockey stories. So I, I love being able to call guys up and they're nice enough to talk to me but I you know I got another book coming out next winter like I said but I think I I don't think I'll write anything this winter per se unless a, you know Harry Potter 8 comes out and they want me to write it and make millions of dollars
0: <laughs> so if you were to compare yourself and we're going to close out here um Nina if you have anything on your mind pop in yeah. uh, and if there's anything you want to add yeah the yeah, yeah. And feel- yeah, yeah. Um,
1: broadcasting course really paid uh, off
0: that's it, right is, is there if you were to compare yourself to um to a hockey player, in terms of your writing, are you a are you like a third line center? Then is that what you're saying? You're like yeah, I'm a grinder. A grinder. I'd say yeah.
2: I'm just I'm just I'm a I'm a guy that loves the game. I'm probably not uh, I'm probably not I'm probably making the league minimum, uh, but I love the game and uh, I might show up a little early for morning practice and I might stay a little later after the skate. <laughs> um, but I I just love the game. Like I said, I like to compare it to a musician. I'm the guy that's playing his own acoustic guitar writing his own songs and I'm hoping you'll come in and give me a chance because I think the songs are really good even though Metallica is playing down the street and you know all their tunes and you got their albums I'd like you to come take a chance on mine if you can.
1: Yeah, you sort of hit on something uh, you know Dennis has his connection to Kurt Russell and Kurt yeah. Russell had that and his mother were involved with that Netflix documentary, The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Yeah,
2: great, stuff. great was, documentary.
1: That line uh, Kurt Russell had about his father, Bing Russell, the subject of it. He's like, he was a plumber actor. Like, he, you know, he yeah. went to work and took his to lunch yeah. pill with him. it wasn't all Hollywood yeah. glamour. Yeah,
2: that was a great documentary too. Yeah, but the, the, I yeah. love those stories. I love these stories that are out there at The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Just, I didn't know about it. And I don't, I think a lot of people might not know about Dennis Marouk. But if you, I think you'll be, wow why didn't i know about that guy when you read, read it because people should know about this guy and a lot of people do know about him but they probably don't know everything about him
0: and and hopefully they will if they get out there and buy the book guys right buy the book but dennis Marook's store The well the official title is dennis Marook, right right the unforgettable story of hockey's forgotten 60 goal man go and check it out uh ken you've been very generous with your time cool. I know you're thanks always for busy. letting me have
2: a phone break Oh. To no. Do work. No
0: problem. It, no problem. Thanks, and and guys. thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the podcast.
2: It's a, it's a great subject and I think it's uh, I'll be I'll be listening. Who's coming up next? Get another You guest. know
0: what? We're hoping to get the uh, Gratuni the Looney. Oh, I got to say your
2: your publishing company you work with, yeah.
0: CW has been excellent awesome. in uh, providing us. books uh, Carl Suban has a book out. Yes. I'd love to get Carl in and um you know, if we're really lucky, maybe Ken Dryden will come in because he's got that book on Steve Montador and concussions that's right, and everything that's and right. um Hey, I feel like the library is a perfect setting for
2: Ken Drive. It is. It is. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Got her.